0: Hi, my name is Infinite and for more than seven years, I've had the privilege of working as a community organizer on issues related to education equity. And while I've seen a lot of potential for transformation, we have a long way to go. Welcome to Back to Freedom Schools. Ongoing conversations about education equity in the state of Vermont. There's nothing like a global pandemic to peel back some of the layers that cover up of racial and social inequities in our state and country. As our public schools face this dilemma head on, the situation on the ground remains way more complicated than the policy and political debates about getting back to normal. Our friend Kathleen Kesson reminds us, it is human nature to want to get back to normal following a crisis of great magnitude, to restore sense of stability, but what if? Guys, so called normal forms of social, economic, and ecological behaviors are themselves at the root of the crisis. Now that we are dominated by logistical and safety concerns, priorities have shifted away from addressing the inequities that existed in our public school system before COVID 19. In this program, Some of the topics we cover will fall under the broad umbrella of education equity, including areas like school finance and curriculum, with special attention being given to racial equity, literacy, and of course, decolonizing education systems. week on back to freedom school a little bit of a throwback to this past summer when i spoke with one of my neighbors kathy about her family's educational experience in burlington these can be vulnerable conversations to have so i am truly grateful for kathy's honesty and authenticity
1: i'm 63 i have a 13 year old son almost 14 and we live here in the old north end on jermaine street Um, and he will be going into eighth grade at hunt Um, this fall.
0: So I'm just going to be asking you a series of questions about the school closure this past spring and then uh, transition into some questions about uh, literacy. Sure. So the first question is what was your experience with remote learning like? What worked well? What didn't go so well?
1: Honestly, nothing went well um, at all. It was almost like a complete amputation from the school uh, educational system for my son. From my perspective, he receives uh, special ed services, has an IEP and has a behavioral interventionist that works with him one-on-one at school. So in order for him to access his education, he requires that intensive side-by-side support of a trained professional in order for him to most of the time, get through his day at school. So with the closure, we were totally isolated. It was just him and myself. And then we had uh, some instructions by email, and then his support team would contact us by phone or by Zoom, and including the special educator who dropped off some like papers that he could work on. So the requirements that they were asking him to complete just didn't happen. And I was struggling as a parent. I was out of my, out of job, out of a job um, with him alone. And our, my role was to support him emotionally and to take care of him and not to become his teacher. Uh, it was to hold my family unit together uh, to be accountable during a highly stressful period. And I have to say that, I'm not sure what, and he was in eighth, seventh grade at the time. I'm not sure what seventh grader could open up their email, their school email. Oh, they went home with their Chromebooks. I'm sorry. So that was one of the things they did on the last day of school. And so they were supposed to use the Chromebook to access their school email and then get their assignments. And I don't uh, have my son connected to technology to begin with because he just can't be mature about it. And so I was with him when he accessed the school email. Um, and basically, to make a long story short, he completed about 15 minutes of schoolwork each day. Um, it was not the assignments or the instructions that the teachers gave him um, or the links. It was basically doing a program called iExcel, um, which he was familiar with. And he'd pick you know, a subject and spend 15 minutes on it. And that was his education for the duration of the stay-at-home order and the rest of the school year. We did receive, we had Zoom meetings, which were incredibly challenging for him. They're hard for me, but for a child with special needs, that uh, format is intimidating, um, uncomfortable, and then it opens up the whole possibility of, oh, I can go on YouTube while I'm on my Zoom session, or I can do this, or I can do that. And he's challenged with direct, like eye-to-eye contact to begin with. So those meetings were neither here nor there. So really, I feel his education ended when the school closed. And that's, and that's, I feel that firmly. It was disastrous for us because we were receiving in-home services through, a, through our family clinician who would come to our home We were working on a behavior plan, we were working on um, navigating family issues, and that stopped too. So everything stopped. And I almost feel that the schools did their best to come up with a plan, but the plan did not fit my son. Um, I I don't know if if there's anything more specific that you would like to ask.
0: No, that's great. Thank you. In the district that you're in, have you seen this uh, remote learning experience play out differently for families of students across race?
1: Yes, (laughs) I have to say. And I will put it out there um, that my son, uh, my son is my adopted son. I've had him since he's been an infant. He is biracial. And we're a really tight family unit, just him and I. But I did actually have conversation with a parent who I knew from the playground from years before, who has two daughters. Um, They both go to Edmonds. I don't wanna characterize uh, who they are, except to say that I do believe uh, they come from a higher socioeconomic place than we do. um, And their children were highly motivated um, and had an excellent experience with the learning and actually had much more interactions with their teachers. Um, And we're spending hours, a few hours a day doing assignments and it worked for them. Um, And I've heard that from other families. It seems that if you are white and wealthy um, and you have your parental supports in place, your experience was different than my son's experience. And and I will, you know, put it out there again that he does receive um, support services. He does receive special ed services. That's a piece of it. But I also feel that there's a, um, there's a racial, ethnic, and uh, economic disparity between education and how it was experienced um, for the students in the school district, including my son's school.
0: Did you have the resources needed at home, such as uh, learning space, supplies, or a teacher or a mentor to help uh, them f- fully participate in remote learning?
1: Not. Uh, in terms of the mentor, what my son would have needed was someone here physically with him and that was impossible, even if they were able to. That was the biggest chunk that was missing. We have um, you know, Our apartment is big enough so that he did have space where he could sit and work, but I actually supervised him on the on the uh, Chromebook these special ed teacher did bring in some of the assignments or specially tailored assignments for him on paper, which he brought like the first week and then somewhere into stay at home order. He brought some pencils. I think mostly the challenge in the access was that my son was completely cut off from everything he knew, his teachers, his peers, the environment where he learned. And here at home, even though we learn every day, 24 seven, it wasn't his learning place to him. And that was really a challenge. And why should I need to? Because I'm home. And um, when you have a different perspective and he's um, taking it in differently, then you can say, technically, we have space. Technically, we have an adult, which would be me. Um, technically, we had the Chromebook and we had papers but the disconnect was in the actual educational process so it it was really a disaster and i think even any seventh grader reading the instructions that the teachers were asking the students to do i mean it was click on this link do this do that as an adult it's intimidating to me so i don't know how many of his classmates participated successfully you know they did say they took attendance by kids clicking on links, or participating in meetings. So, and his report card came back. They didn't use grades. Um, it was meet expectations or didn't meet expectations. Was that new? That was new. That was a, that was a um, I wish I had his report card in front of me. So up until, up until the stay-at-home order, kids were getting letter grades. I actually was having a challenge because he was failing science. And I met with the teachers and um, there was actually some miscommunication between his educational team and the teacher that taught the class. And I was very upset that I didn't know that my son was failing and nobody had contacted me and we discussed it. And the final grade was this, I wish I had it in front of me, and I could try to find it for you and, and let you know another time. But I think it was, um, I think it was like meet expectations or didn't, there were three or four different sentences and that's what kids got. So in his academic classes, he didn't meet the expectations, which is really a challenge. Um, he did really well in like health and phys ed. And actually in um, one of his sort of extra support math classes, And he did well with that that class. I will say he had a really tight relationship with a teacher. And the teacher is African-American and very invested in learning in that class. And so he did well in those classes. In the other classes, the teachers um, said that he didn't meet expectations, which I'm not surprised. But I don't know how you can grade the stay-at-home piece. Uh, I, I just don't.
0: And so how did, how did they receive, how did um, your kid receive feedback on their schoolwork during the remote work?
1: He got emails from his teachers, mostly an emails email from his special educator that would say, oh, you've completed this many hours of IXL. Because I guess they can, through technology, they can tell how many questions he answered. But, you know, like if he felt like doing second grade reading, he did second grade reading. So like, big deal. You know, everybody's like, oh, you're like, you're, you're, you know, you're spending time. Well, like spending time is because he was, that was my minimal, this is our agreement. And, and, and his team agreed that if he put in that amount of time, that was considered acceptable, but that wasn't learning to me or to him, you know, so it really, I mean, he did attend what they call advisory meetings where the teachers and the kids would Zoom together. And at first he would not sign on so that people could see him. And then he would bring his iPod and put in music and, you know, he was kind of a character, but he did attend some of those and he did enjoy them. And I think primarily it was seeing his peers. It was, it was terrible because we don't have any family here. It's just him and I, and we had no resources and and really no supports whatsoever. So we were totally isolated from the world and, you know, we'd get out every day and, you know, we had a schedule and we did stuff together, but uh, losing that connection with his peers was really significant.
0: That really covers a lot of the questions that I was going to ask you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was really how, how your student uh, reacted emotionally during remote learning. And um, I guess another more specific question is, uh, have you been concerned about their emotions or their uh, social skills and, and social emotional connections?
1: Definitely. The one piece that has just sort of like transformed him was uh, the beginning of July, he was able to go to camp. So uh, for the month of July and for two weeks in August, he has camp scheduled. And so he's been going to a camp that's run by the inclusion program from Howard. It's called Supernova, and it's he's with, actually, probably the counselor that he's with that brings him and brings him home is probably going to be his, his behavioral interventionist in the fall. And he's been loving the camp. And then in August, for two weeks, he gets to go to the Boys and Girls Club camp. Um, so being with his peers, being out in the water, in the environment, active, has just transformed his his approach to everything, it's been great. But now we're faced with what is the fall look like? And I am just beside myself with what I know so far about what they're gonna present is gonna be the plan. And I don't think it's gonna work. And we don't know, the only thing I know is it's gonna be alternate days It sounds like the message from the superintendent yesterday was Wednesday would be no school. So kids would either go Monday, Thursday, or Tuesday and Friday. And Wednesday would be um, cleaning and stuff. So of course it affects my ability to work because I didn't get back to work until my son went to camp because he cannot be left home alone even though he's 13. Um his developmental and you know social needs are at a much younger age. So unless he's in school, I'm unable to work, which is a whole nother piece. And we're very fortunate that Spectrum um, has been providing food for us from the food shelf. We've been getting deliveries once or twice a week. We did qualify for the um, the EBT card, and um, you know financially, it's it, it's really been a struggle. But as far as the fall goes, it sounds like the kids are only going to be in school two days a week. And there's no way that that's going to work either. Like two days a week is not going to cut it. (laughs) And so my goal is I'm waiting for the definitive word from the school district, which I think they said by August 6th, they were going to give a final answer on how this was going to roll out. And then I want to make sure that I have a meeting um, because my son's IEP gets evaluated every fall. So I want to have a meeting to discuss how the school district is going to guarantee that his IEP is honored and they have to rewrite the whole IEP because none of what made sense last year for in-school learning is going to apply this year really at all. So in one sense, I'm lucky that I have a legal document that's holding the school district accountable. The other piece is, Not even um, the folks from the um, Howard program, from the inclusion program, know how that's going to work because their behavioral interventions are contracted out hourly. And I think they're given a 40 hour week. So if they're with students only two days of the week, where, what are they doing for the rest of the week? And what's going to happen? And they were saying that they're trying to work something out so that maybe they can be with students, but be in an alternate location. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I'm not going to take this sitting down. And if it means that he needs to repeat eighth grade the following year, then that's going to need to be the case. But I'm not going to say this is acceptable in any way, shape, or form. And there have already been um, emails from parents from the um, PTO group talking about doing co-op learning and having families get together and do like outdoor learning. And again, this is a huge divide between the school community and the makeup of the school community. Um, And those parents uh, have the means and the resources and the ability to support their students in ways that other families will not and there, therein it goes the whole picture. It just cuts to the heart of the matter, and I'm just really worried.
0: Well, you're not the only one. What new behaviors did you see in, in your student during the remote learning that you hadn't seen before?
1: A lot of anxiety. My son has challenges around food and food security, and um, he really struggled with overeating. And being very scattered, um, he used to love to read, and that was something that ever since he was a baby, I was always reading books to him. I said, if I ever had another profession, it would be to travel the world and read children's books to children, because there's nothing more glorious than words and learning. And he stopped reading, and he just just shut down, and he was scared, you know. So I had to interpret, like first of all, the whole protocol about having to wash and wear a mask. And, you know, he was really scared. I'm his only person. And if something happened to me, he wouldn't have someone to take care of him. And he was worried that I was gonna get sick. And he didn't understand the whole situation. It was just really terrifying to him. So a lot of anxiety, depression, and regression really uh, in, in some ways We ended up coming out closer and tighter together as a family unit because we really had to depend on each other so much. Um, And I wasn't going to let this take us down. But, you know, the events that are going on in the world are grim. And he's highly aware of everything that's happening. And he feels really powerless. And that's not a good place for a team to feel, you know, And now that he's with his peers, I I, I notice a little bit more maturity coming in. Uh, He's a little bit more carefree. He's more vocal. He's talking more to me about things, but he's also dreading the fall.
0: During this time, do you think he learned more around the same or less?
1: He learned less about school learning and he learned more about life, about what it means to sort of uh, go through adversity in his first real lesson, well, not really his first, but a new chapter of adversity that was new to everyone.
0: So uh, bear with me if this question sounds sounds like you, you may have covered this already. So if your student has a learning plan, was his plan followed and needs met during this, this period?
1: Um, the plan, Once the stay-at-home order was put in place, sort of transitioned as we saw that he was not able to meet the guidelines that were being required of him. And so it was tailored in real time to sort of hold him accountable to the most minimal degree, simply because the concern was that if I had to intervene in terms of like being a disciplinarian or saying, you must do this and you need to do that, that there were going to be repercussions that would affect my safety. And so they didn't want to put him in a situation where he felt overwhelmed or his anxiety or his frustration would have led to physical aggression. So keeping that in mind, which is not his history, they really wanted to promote a positive spin on oh you're doing something but so that plan was really let's make sure that he connects either by zoom or by phone so we know that he's doing okay we'll talk to me periodically to be like are you okay but there was nothing that they could have done if we weren't okay <laughs> mm-hmm. so it was a plan by the skin of our teeth, and it wasn't a plan that where his educational needs were at the top. It was sort of like let's let's just get through this and let's stay connected so we know that this family is not in crisis.
0: So, Kathy, you've expressed um, your concerns about about his learning moving forward. So, in returning to school, what do you think would help you have a smoother transition into the fall?
1: I want him to have his education set five days a week. I want him to be learning five days a week, whether it's at Hunt, whether it's at Howard, whether it's out in the community, I want him to be connected to his behavioral interventionist for eight hours a day or seven hours a day, or even six hours a day, and have it be around learning and what's expected in the eighth grade so that we have an idea of where, what his needs are gonna be moving forward into high school. We were also talking about the possibility about looking into alternate placement. And that would be something that would need to be uh, in conjunction with uh, Laura Nugent and the special education uh, department. And that would be strictly for a learning environment that would be smaller, more one-on-one. And my son learns by doing. He's not a book learner. He's not going to sit there. He has ADHD. He He's a doer. And if he could be in an environment where he's learning place-based learning, for lack of a better term, that's been thrown around, you know, if he was on a farm or if he was somewhere where, you know, his lessons were actual hands-on lessons, I think it would really benefit him. But given what is expected, which is to return to 108th grade, I want him to have his education five days a week. Uh, I don't want him to be at home. I don't want remote learning. Uh, That will not work for our family. So I don't know what the options are, but I am going to hold them accountable to whatever plan I sign on to, and there has to be a plan that I agree that it's acceptable. So my goal is really to engage the special ed community and the school and the district to say, how will you meet my son's educational need? I'm willing to give a month if they're asking me to try with him to do distance learning in a different way than they did if there's some other way that they're planning on working it, I'm willing to, to do the homework to say, this is not gonna work <laughs> if they need to see it. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna try, but I, I won't go further than that.
0: What do you want lawmakers and, and other decision makers to know about your experience?
1: I want them to know that education is not equal and that teachers are strapped. They're doing their best but their best is not enough in terms of given the outline of what is expected. Students have so many needs that go far beyond their intellectual growth and schools are trying, but here in Burlington, I just feel there are so many families that are disenfranchised, that are uh, ignored, that are given lip service to, and that aren't given the same opportunities as other families and I, I think that's really a tragedy because the one thing we have to do is bring our children up to know that they are worthwhile human beings and that they matter and that they count and that they can make a difference in the world and that's not happening if we fail our students we fail our society I don't have the answers to the budget or to anything else but if we're gonna come together as a community and support one another, we have to support our children and we have to give them what we need. And I'm disappointed at the superintendent's choice. I feel like that was rushed through. I'm very grateful for Aden Haji, who's now um, on the school board. Mm -hmm. I know Aden very well and we need more diversity. We don't need a bunch of white people telling the district, um, how to run their schools
0: do you, do you think there is anything that can be done to improve remote learning in the future in case uh, the school have to close again?
1: right I don't know. I really hope that they're working on that i I don't know how i I'm not um technical. I'm not a real like technology person, so I limit it as much as possible. I even like this is tough doing a zoom session. I would hope that they are engaging people who understand um, the dynamics about what remote learning is and are looking at our student body and are looking at what's realistic and figuring something out because the teachers can't do like three different lesson plans. They just can't. And some of the teachers. I mean, it was very sweet. They did music videos. And it was really adorable, they, they, it made me cry because the teachers are really trying to reach out and touch the kids and they were just being human beings. And maybe that's something that I never would have seen if I had just seen them in passing in the hallways. So their humanity shone through. So I think the teachers want to grab their kids, but how, how do you do it successfully? I hope that they've got experts and they're really working on that. I, I don't know what that is. And then there's the other piece of after school. What happens to the Boys and Girls Club? What happens to King Street or to Sarah Holbrook? These community centers hold our children while we're at work and also hold them for nutrition, hold them for social services, hold them for enrichment. Man, this is a community deal.
0: In the event that you agreed to a plan with the school,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what data would you be paying the most attention to for you in in order for you to feel like he's doing okay? What would you be looking at the closest?
1: I guess the closest would be my son's engagement and my son's ability to put an effort in. Like, I don't expect, I'm sure there's stuff that I couldn't even explain to him as far as if I had to like solve a problem, but to show like that he's willing to take the time be able to sit down and attempt to complete what's being expected of him Mm -hmm. as opposed to I'll touch that. And that's as far as I'll go, you know, and get something out of it, learn something. If he sat and read for two hours a day, I'd be happy, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be great. And we could sit and talk about what he read or something, but he'd have to show me that he could, Uh, tackle what's being expected of him. Mm
0: -hmm. So speaking of reading, I'm going to transition into these literacy questions and uh, you can just answer them uh, to the best of your ability. And the first question is, we often hear about students in school who, who graduate who have not learned how to read or write well. What do you think is going on there?
1: I think the school's have worked out a system so that they can check their boxes and get the next grade of kids into the school. I think that's, that's all that it is. I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's about learning. Like right now, even writing is not an expectation. My son cannot really write legibly. I mean, I understand it, but if I were, you know, when I was going to school, which was many years ago, like it was really important. You had to be able to write clearly. You had to. So that's not even an expectation now. How to count money, how, how to use like coins, how to tell time are not expectations in school. So I think my son is lucky that I happen to, I, I don't read for pleasure as an adult. I, I have a, a hard time reading. And I managed to get through my education by like taking really good notes in school and listening and rewriting my notes. And that's how I learned. I, I was not a textbook person, but I love children's books. And so the time that I spent reading to him, I think opened up a spark where he really enjoyed reading, not only me reading to him, but then starting to read himself his grade level in reading was at grade level or above, and now we're slipping where it's below grade level. Even though he does read, he's into graphic novels. He likes the pictures. His ability to stay concentrated on like a novel are just not there at this point. So he's familiar with words. He, he asks the meaning of words. His spelling is phonetic uh is that is that correct? like how it sounds is how he writes it, so I understand it, but there's no way like at thirteen and eight well, he'll be fourteen and eighth grade, like his writing is fourth grade or third grade, or you know something like that. So if he continues to not read, I'm gonna be very worried because it's a muscle that you have to use
0: How do you think remote learning has affected uh students who struggle with reading and writing?
1: I think it's been really bad for him because the one thing he used to do at school was if he wasn't doing the school assignment, he was reading. He got an award the year before for taking out the most books out of the library. And he'd come home with like six stacks of books and be like, like, and you know, he might speed read through them, but he had his head in the books. And that was such a joy to me. And he, and they have a really great collection of 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 books at school. And so he had an opportunity to like really open his world. And since the stay at home order, he's not wanted to read at all, at all. And I I could say to you, I love watching movies. And, you know, that's like an escape for me. It took me the longest time to be able to sit and watch a movie. Uh, I I just couldn't, I, I, my anxiety, or I just, I couldn't concentrate. So I can appreciate the stress of the coronavirus having an impact on him, where that might prevent him from wanting to just sit and learn. But when he was at school, he was reading all the time.
0: And how how do you think remote learning can be improved in this regard?
1: I don't know if there are some really cool visual, audio, visual programs that would engage kids that come up with like real-life learning and important stuff. Hey, whether it's about music, whether it's about culture, whether it's about current events or whatever it is, something that really grabs them, not just some form and checklist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's he, he really needs that visual, audio. He's a very sensory-based learner. Mm-hmm.
0: Have you seen this... This particular uh, literacy writing issue play out differently across race.
1: I don't have exact data to support that, but I would I would guarantee that it would definitely be a, a huge divide simply because of what I know was the case before the pandemic hit. So I don't see how that would turn around into a three sixty
0: do you do you know uh, you do you know how people learn to read and write
1: I think it's a person to person I think it's communication is physical in the present moment so it has to capture you because it's a visual thing it's an audio thing and it's a place thing it's not necessarily like flat words on a page so I, I think it's multi i think it's multifaceted and I know that the school sites were the library has done like their best job at being able to pass on books um at the meal sites so that kids can take them um we just went to the library and they just gave him two beautiful graphic novels brand new books and i think it also has to be a challenge for folks that are learning english as a second language or a third language completely because What's the connection? The connection is school. It's not this, you know? So I don't even know how that has played out for families. I I hope that maybe you'd be able to speak to some families that that are in that that position. Because uh, the biggest part for me as a student, it wasn't the subject, it wasn't the grade, it wasn't anything other than having a really dynamic teacher who loved to teach. That's what got me interested. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be missing in remote learning. It's missing also too in the classroom to begin with, but just double that. Yeah. So, you know, and some of those kids are connected to after-school programs. Like that's where they're getting their homework help. That's where they're sitting alongside another person that understands where they're coming from and can help them. Because if you don't know how to ask for help, you're lost. You almost have to know how, and then you have to be able to go to the right person. And ha- how can you expect kids to be in that position, to be their own advocates like that? That's not the way it should be.
0: Do you, do you know how reading is taught in most schools?
1: I don't. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say. It's okay. I don't. I mean, I, my grandmother used to teach in, um, they used to call them all day neighborhood schools up in the Bronx in New York. And she taught me to read by sitting next to me with a book and pointing to the words and saying the words and then having me repeat the words. Um, so it was a real like interactive thing. I don't know how they teach. I don't know how they teach in school.
0: Uh, what what happens to students when they fall behind in learning to read? When what happens when they enter middle and and high school?
1: I, I think that's I think that's the worst possible thing that could happen because how are they going to be able to go out into society and the community and and function? I mean numbers and words are everything. They they really are and words especially because it's not only like. It's not only your learning, but it's your communication. And it's your ability to be okay in the world and get your needs met and be a contributing member. And uh, children who aren't able to read or write obviously are going to struggle with a lot of issues, but it also affects their self-esteem because they're cut off. And... They they think they're not worth it. They think they're they can't. There's no child that can't learn. There's no child that can't learn. It's just how to teach them, how to grab them, when to do it, and you just have to keep trying. And you and you and you can't stop. I feel like there's there's elementary school, then there's middle school where all hell breaks loose and all the hormones are interacting, and nobody really knows how to relate to middle schoolers because. They're really like high schoolers used to be. And then there's a world of high school. So like, if you don't get it in elementary school, you're kind of screwed, is kind of the way I see things now, the way it is now.
0: If you could wave a magic wand, what would teaching and and learning in, in terms of literacy, reading and writing look like in school?
1: It would never stop. It would just continue. And if kids manage to get out of elementary school, still struggling with those issues, those are the first issues that are addressed in middle school and continue to be addressed and worked on until they're ready, until they're ready, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. That's got to be the minimum standard that they can learn to read and write and understand and have the self-confidence to do that and then take on all the other intellectual stuff.
0: So what do you think are the barriers to making this a reality?
1: Not enough teachers, the training of teachers. Maybe it needs to be a broader collective of different titles. Maybe it's not, a, you're, you're, maybe it's not the classroom teacher that's gonna be doing the remedial work with the students. I don't know much about the Stern Center, but I think that's one of their specialties Mm -hmm. So, like, having those folks in every single school and starting, you know, really young and following the kids, and also, it would be really helpful if the teachers that taught the children that were really struggling looked and sounded like the students that need the help, because it's really a challenge, and... I don't think, I mean, diversity in the teacher in the, in the, in the teachers um, certainly mirrors the lack of diversity there is in general. And that's, like I said, my son is doing so well in this remedial math class with this teacher because he's a great dude and my son really likes him and he's really engaging with my son and my son really needed that. And I think it would be different if it was a different teacher coming from a different place. That, I think that's that's a big key. How do you do that? Recruitment, I, I don't know. I, I think the school district's just messed up. But I think you have to have that whole community of um, people looking at that student and following that student and having whatever their uh, benchmarks are uh, flexible and continual so that they can help support those kids and get them up to speed to the best of their ability. So it's going to involve more and that more equals money right i don't know i think there should be ways of doing it i think there's you can't cut librarians (laughs) you can't do that like that's just wrong they were cutting the librarian at sa to part-time how could you do that that's your that's the gateway to the world kids should be spending the time there like how could you do that so I don't know enough about the budget. I don't know enough about the money, but you need to have more intensive support, teaching, and learning going on for kids. You just got to help them. That's your that's the job. And if it's not happening, it's not a question of A, B, C, D pass or fail. Like you've got to have different a uh, different guidelines for for literacy and for supporting students reaching their potential.
0: So. What can teachers, school board members, educational leaders, uh, parents, and legislators do to move us in, in this direction?
1: We have to take action. And I don't know how, like, I, I'm not quite sure where, what, where you fit into the picture, but obviously you're attempting to make a difference by getting this information. Yeah. So like, I just happen to know Bonnie on um, <laughs> as a neighborhood person and a parent and her and I talk about challenges and then she connected me with you. And so like, this has to be grassroots, right? And I'm willing to sit down and talk to the powers that be. I'm willing to get involved. I'm willing to say, no, I don't have all the answers. So when the problem is, is that for people to say, well, how tell us how, well, maybe we need to figure out, the how part, because if that's all they want to know, that's kind of convoluted too. But obviously changes have to be made. Mm-hmm. But I think you need a strong representation that mirrors the student body and the families of this community. And it's not there, it never has been. It really hasn't. I, I started out like, I'm gonna to go to PTO meetings, I'm gonna do this. I, I, I don't want to sit in a room with folks like that. It's just not where I'm coming from. You know, it's just not, uh, I'm willing to get involved. I I don't know how to make the change, but obviously it's not gonna happen unless noise is made.
0: If parents have students who are struggling to learn, uh, to read, what do you recommend they do?
1: Go to the library. (laughs) We can't go to the library. (laughs) I mean, they're like, they're actually going outside now Mm -hmm. um on the weekends a couple of i think there's a couple of periods i don't know the library and the librarians are just so great they're so great go to their go to go to their community person if they've got somebody that's representing them out in the community take it back but i don't know to me it's it all happens to the library Mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate but we're really limited right now
0: yeah yeah, I have I have a two year old, and and we spent a lot of time at Fletcher Free.
1: Yeah, um,
0: and and it it we do we miss it. We, yeah, miss it a lot. Kate
1: Galucci, um, the librarian Kate, she was my son's fourth grade teacher. Oh wow! Okay. Um,
0: yeah, I think I know who she is. So, what what else would you like Vermonters to know about uh, literacy and education in our state in general?
1: I think it's a challenge um rural vermont looks very different from burlington or winooski we're all part of the same state i feel like i'm very i would be very out of touch to know what it's like in the outer uh counties and communities so i'm speaking to it from a perspective of being in burlington i moved here in 94 from new york city and i've lived all my life in new york city so i would have to say just like the drug problem when I moved up here, where people were like, no, there's no heroin here. Our community mirrors the country. And the challenges that communities of color and communities that have lack of resources experience are education is probably one of the most important things that you could advocate for. And I see the biggest divides in in our our communities where we're really split, we're really isolated. We have some diversity, but we also have a dramatic, dramatic, I mean, look at the numbers. I used to read like the school district. It's like, you know, we made SA, we made IAA, we said, okay, we're not gonna close the schools, but now we're gonna, you know, bring in white families. They're gonna wanna come to these schools. We're gonna try to keep the schools open, but, People are still there. People are still oppressed, and people still get pushed down, and people still get forgotten. And it's just the—I don't think any of that's changed. If anything, it's worse. So we have to be realistic and say, "Look, we have to do better as a community. We can't be a a, a, a refugee resettlement city and put people in substandard housing and ask them to live differently than anybody else would want to live." or to isolate them, or to not provide services. Like this is Burlington. It's cold, it's nasty, it's isolating. And we have to put the money and the dedication and the caring and the concern for all Vermonters where people need it the most. And, and, and I think it's in communities of color and in communities of lower socioeconomic needs Mm -hmm. and you have to feed people and you have to give them good homes and you have to give them health care kids can't learn without without nutrition they they can't I I, I don't even know what the figures are in terms of of how that has played out with the pandemic
0: who else do you think I should be speaking with
1: who have you spoken with (laughs) (laughs) like a broad spectrum of families or?
0: Just in terms of this, I mean, earlier you said, you know, you, uh, you hope that I should be speaking with, um, you know, s- some of the uh, folks who uh, whose first language is not English. Um, right. And learn more uh, what their experience was like. And yeah. I'm wondering if there is anyone else in particular you think I should be talking to.
1: I don't know if uh, the folks at uh, AALV, mm. um, would be a a good place to start. Um, Maybe contacting King Street or Boys and Girls Club and uh, talking to some of the the folks there in terms of maybe connecting with families. I don't know what other community-based organizations there are, I know there are a lot more than I would probably be aware of. There's also Spectrum, which is also a great resource.
0: That's right. So last question, are there any questions that I haven't asked today that you think I should be asking.
1: I don't know. You've asked some really good questions. <laughs> I think asking that question to every to every parent because I be, you'd be surprised at what people might say, mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't even necessarily consider, mm-hmm. because people haven't been asked. Wow, right? Isn't that a huge thing? That's a huge thing. I think that's the, I think that's the one I think that's the one question everybody should be asked but I think you've really, I mean, I, I haven't been able to give you complete answers on some of what you said, because it's, it's, it's mind it's boggling to me, but my perspective isn't necessarily another person's perspective. So it might be uh, around other issues um, and they might be more, uh, you know, urgent matters to them because if you can't solve all those things, then it's really hard for learning to occur.
0: Well, Kathy. Okay, I really appreciate you taking the time out to sure. to sit down and talk with me. And I may think of some, some other questions and come back around to you. Sure. This is really uh, just my second interview. I have a, a bunch lined up for next week, but um, I'll definitely be in touch with you as we, as we launch. So uh, this is really like the beginning. This is just the beginning and this is in part, to try to hold some of our school decision makers accountable, um, because I know they're overwhelmed, um, and they still need to be accountable for, you know, what the the, the work that they're doing, right? You know, sure. we, we're, we're, we're in a school district that spends $90 million a year budget, right? Um, and so we just want to make sure that, uh, you know, that the public's resources are accounted for, and that... You know, they're giving their best effort and that they're actually really listening to folks um and not just uh picking and choosing who to respond to and who right. not to respond to. Right. Um we know that everyone's experience is different, uh, but we do think that we could be doing a better job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know, um Adam might be a great person to, to get a hold of. Um I think he might be away right now in Puerto Rico. But he just joined the school board. Yep. Um, and so yeah, I know he, I
0: know Adam very well. Adam.
1: Okay. Yeah. So like he would he would probably be a great a resource in terms of looking at 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 maybe gathering some other some other folks and families and stuff like that. But he's got really strong aspirations to hold people accountable and to want to be a face of the faces that aren't represented.
0: Thank you so much, Kathy. My I'll, pleasure. I'll in touch.
1: All right. Sounds great.
0: Have a great weekend.
1: You too. You too. Be well. Thank you. You All right.
0: You've been listening to Back to Freedom School. Ongoing discussions about some of the challenges facing Vermont's education system and some of the opportunities to achieve equity in Vermont's education system. I'm your host, Infinite. Thanks again for listening.